As you uh, turn to John chapter 14, I, I want to take you back a little bit with me to my days when I first started middle school. And I know this is hard for you to visualize, but I once was not as always as muscular and as a stud as you see on the stage <laughs> here today. I don't know why you're laughing. This is church, remember, be nice. But when I was, I was just starting middle school, I couldn't put any weight on. I mean, I was, I was a beanpole. I, you know, I, I just couldn't put, I mean, I had multiple milkshakes a day. I just couldn't do anything and kind of wish I had that metabolism back now. Uh, but I had some friends. And my friends, when some of the cruelty would hit me from some of the other people in the middle school, I had a couple of friends who would stand and, and, and hold their ground and have my back. And, and I felt a little bit of assurance knowing that my buddies had my back. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before. Now, now, fast forward in life. Now I'm married and I have a beautiful wife and I have two little girls. And um, it'll be in the middle of the night. We'll be sound asleep and our girls, one of them will scream out, Mom! Dad! Mom! Dad! And, you know, we'll be in a middle of a sound uh, in the middle of a, a sleep and so just a moment of laziness will catch one of us and we'll just go what we'll just scream across the house we have a we live on a ranch and um they won't answer and i think they don't answer because i i think they just wanted to know that we were there they're panicking they're fearful they're freaking out they're anxious and, and they just want to know they just want to know that mom and dad are there i think there's comfort but then we grow up, don't we? We grow up and we experience all kinds of fear and anxiety in our life that are even for adults. Oh, did I tell you that I'm also a, a vicious spider killer? Did I tell you that? Uh, I am a vicious spider killer. We do not believe in catch and release in the Green household. Uh, my wife would not live in our house if we believed in that policy. All spiders have to be mitigated every single solitary time. They're seeing one. I feel bad for them. The other day, the other day, I'm called into the living room, and all three of them are in a corner, and they're all screaming and pointing, and there's this little tiny spider in the other side of the room, and I'm thinking that spider's thinking, I got them where I want them right now, <laughs> and I went over there and mitigated the, the insect, but here's what I know to be true. If I were to pull the room in this room right now, if I were to pull all of you, there would be some adult fears here. There would be a, some adult anxiety here. If you were to be real, if you were to be honest, there would be some things that you're going through that has brought on some panic. Maybe you're panicked or you're fearful or you're anxious today about money. Or maybe it's about the political climate or maybe it's about a relationship or maybe it's about a health situation. Or maybe it's something you don't even know. Maybe you just got up today or you've been up lately and you're just like, I don't even know why, but I'm just anxious. I'm just afraid. We've been in this series, and I've been talking a lot about the mind. And I've been talking about how the mind shapes your life. Whatever you think about will inevitably flesh out into your life. It's just the case every single time. And we all understand through the course of this preaching series we've been in that where the mind goes, so, do, so goes the rest of the hands, the feet, and the heart, and the body. And before we know it or not... We'll entertain these thoughts of fear or panic or anxiety or worry. And whether or not we want to or not, we'll become fretful Florence. You know one of those? Maybe you're fretful Florence. Or, or we'll become fearful Felix. Maybe you're fearful Felix today. 
But the good news is that God, he, what he does is he wants to transform our mind to transform our life. And, and as he begins to do that, he can completely take our panic and he can move it all the way to peace. He can take your fear, he can take your anxiety, he can take your panic, and he can move it to peace in your life. And, and I'm not just saying that. I'm not trying to be cute or just use two words with start with the letter P, but what I'm trying to get into your heart and your head this morning is that God, he really can do that. He really can. And maybe you're struggling with that. And look, I don't even blame you if you struggle with panic right now or fear or anxiety because of the day and age we live in. In a day and an age where North Korea is right on the edge. Have you been watching the news? I'm like, are you kidding me that the the two presidents of two countries are twittering back and forth and arguing with one another like middle school kids. I'm I'm like, what in the world is going on in this world? In a day and age when our identity can be stolen on the internet just like that, in a day and age when there's so many different things going on, ISIS is around all types of corners, maybe this is the message, maybe this is the moment you need more than any other in this preaching series. One of my favorite verses is found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, and I'll just read it to you. It says, There is a peace of God which surpasses all understanding. And how many of you have heard that verse before in your life? Raise your hand real quick. A lot of you have heard that verse before. And those of you who have heard it would say, yes, this is true, and yes, it seems to be a foregone conclusion, but how in the world does it seem like that, that panic is still an ongoing issue in our life? So I want to ask you a question this morning. And I just want you to just answer it just between you and I, okay? Just real quick, how's your peace today? How is your peace? Now, here's what we're going to do. I want you to get out the listening guide you're given today. And um, there's a self-evaluation tool at the very top of that listening guide. And I just want you to real quickly choose whether or not you agree to one or two of the options that are given. The first one is this in the self-evaluation guide is, are you more likely to live paranoid or peaceful lately? Are you paranoid or peaceful? Why don't you circle the one in that evaluation? The second one was, would your first reaction to the news of today be fear and anxiety, or would it simply make you reflect upon the goodness and the grace of God and the fact that he does have control? Be honest. This is just between you and me. And the third one is this, are you finding yourself more and more anxious or do you find yourself having a peaceful, easy feeling? Now this isn't on the the self-evaluation guide, but I'm just going to read it out to you anyways. Do you find yourself afraid of irrational things? The things that you're afraid of, they don't even make any sense. One statistician said this, that 92% of the things that we're fearful about and panic about are either imagined or or we have no control over what's... 92%. That means that, nine, that means that only 8% of everything that you're scared about actually has anything to do with your ability to impact it. Wow. If you broke that into the minutes and, and hours in your day, that would be trivial, wouldn't it? And, and because of you get so fearful and you, you're panicked and so many times, do you ever just want to escape? You ever just want to get away? Like the Southwest commercial says, you just want to get away? Apparently some people do. Jeff Bezos, he's the founder of Amazon. He's worth around $60 billion. He can afford a few hobbies, I would say. And one of them is he founded this company, literally. And they, the company's goal is to take a million people to help, to help live and inhabit 
Mars by 2040. That's their goal. And maybe that's where you find yourself today. You just want to get away. You just want to get out and escape reality today. But as we talk about peace and we talk about where often we live in the world of panic, do you ever just wonder, where is this peace? And, and if there is a God, where is this God of peace? And if there is a God of peace, and what's his plan? And could he give it to us? Could he give us it to us and help us to understand it? This is what I want to talk about today. Because I think it really does relate to every single man, woman, and child in existence. So I'm going to pray, and then I want to look at John chapter 14 together. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness, your, your faithfulness, and what we just got to celebrate just a little bit ago. And now, God, we humbly bow in your presence. And we ask that you would speak, and that your spirit would convict and you'd have your way. Have your way, God, with my friends here today and I as we talk about your peace. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. In John chapter 14, shortly after what we are about to get to in verse 1, the disciples are freaking out. And here's why. A group of men that have been following this Jesus for over three years and his three-year ministry is about to end. And they've had a really good start of their week. On the beginning of the week, he rode into the city like a king. It was a good start to your week. Now they're on Thursday. And they're about to head into one of the most fearful, deepest valleys they've ever gone in. And they are panicking. A bunch of fearful felixes. That's what they are. And there's reason for that. First of all, they just learned that one of them was about to betray Christ. And second of all, we learn that Christ is going to leave them. And he said, and by the way, you can't go with me. And they're like, what? We can't go with you. We've been going everywhere with you. And to make matters worse, look, they don't have the Bible. They can't read ahead. Oh, what's going to happen next? Let's see. Oh, he does this resurrection thing. That's cool. No, they don't have any of that. All they have at the time is a bunch of unfulfilled promises. And so Christ, he, he speaks into their life and he assures them of a few things. Look at it, verse 1 of chapter 14 with me. He says this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. This is known as the farewell discourse. This is God getting ready to say goodbye. He says, look, do not be troubled. You believe in God that's been a part of your life as a Jew. Now believe in me as God, friends. And that's the goal, right? If you don't want to have a troubled heart, he's basically saying, well, believe in me. And, and something tells me today that, that if you don't want to live with panic and you want to take your panic and you want to turn it into peace, then it has to do with this idea of Jesus. But we get scared. The disciples were scared. There was panic amongst them. But Jesus is like, shh, 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 look, guys. He goes, look, I'm king. And because I'm king, I'm in control. And because I'm in control, look, you, it's, it's all going to be okay. In John chapter 2, we were reminded that Jesus, he was omniscient. And omniscient means that he, he knows all. He knows every thought. He knows every detail, every hair on your head or, or lack thereof hair or used to be on your head. I don't know. But whatever the case is, he knew everything. And he gives this command. He says, look, believe in me. A straight command. 
And the reason why he gives this command is because he knows the minds of the disciples and he knows the minds of us today. When he was facing death, you know what he was thinking about? He was thinking about you. He was thinking about me. He was thinking about the disciples. He knew that they were about to go into a deep and really, really bad valley. And his, his, his thoughts are on them. He wants to give them assurance. He, he wants to bring them comfort. His focus was here. Incredible. If you want to explore this a little bit further this week, read John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17. And here's how I would love for you to do it. Just read it slowly with, it, with something to write down next to it. And just take some notes. Oh, that's interesting. And if you have questions, come talk to somebody about it. Talk to one of our pastors at Graceland or, or shoot me an email or whatever the case is. But that's encouraging. We can also turn to the Old Testament. Examples like David. He's in a panic. He's in a pinch. And he says in chapter 27 of Psalms, he says, look, I had fainted. Have you ever felt that way where you just want to faint? You just want to get away? I have. But then we find David at the very end of Psalm 27 and he's encouraged. He actually says, wait for the Lord. I love that. So Jesus, he continues his encouragement and his, his assurance as he continues in chapter 14. And we're not going to get to all the details, but I'd love for you to skip to verse 27. In verse 27, he says this. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now he's indicating here that his peace, it's not like what we find in the world. So many times we put our eyes on the world's peace. And we define our peace as the world's peace. It's over here. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 this is my peace over here. But yet so many times we're focused over here. And over here, Webster's Dictionary defines peace and the world's peace as freedom from civil disturbance a state of security, freedom from disquieting or, or harmony in personal relationships. How many of you could, could, could handle some of this peace right now? How many of you could just raise your hand and be honest? How many could handle some of that peace? Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a worthy, worthwhile goal. But this kind of peace, it, it basically defines it as prosperity and calm and rest. And as much as I like that, that's not what Jesus is talking about. What he's talking about, he's talking about an internal calm in the midst of external chaos. There's a difference. Jesus is saying, I, I can give you this peace. And if you're having trouble today discovering peace for your life, friend, let me tell you, I, I've, been, I've been praying for you and I've been processing this and I, I just want you to know this from the bottom of my heart. There is a way for you to discover true peace in your life but if you've been having trouble discovering this, then maybe you've been looking for it in the wrong place over here. Or maybe you've been looking for it outside of what Scripture wants to tell you, the recipe of peace. You see, don't look for the world to provide something that only God can provide. Charles Stanley in his book, I love this on peace, he says this, No one can take your peace from you. If you've lost it, you lost it with one main reason— you surrendered it. You had the ball of peace and you simply just gave it away. You just fumbled the ball of peace. You see, if you're a child of the king, if you've given your life to Christ, he has given you peace, friend. It's not like a loan where he's, mm, I think I'll take my peace back today. 
It's not like a car that you're leasing and, you know, you've run up the miles and you have to turn it in. No, no, no. He's given you his peace and you can have it and hold it unless you choose to surrender it. And then after Jesus reminds them of these things, he, he says these few words at the end of this chapter. And last week I talked about how, where do we find truth? Well, we find truth right here in, the, in this book, right? And so if truth is in this book, then every word has something to do for our life. And so we look at this and we kind of wonder, what does this have to do for our life? And um, Jesus says at the end of the chapter, he says, get up and let's leave this place. Sounds pretty simple, right? Get up and leave this place. Well, what does this have to do with us or the disciples? Well, scholars would believe that, you know, when, when Jesus said this place, he was indicating the upper room. This was the same room where he'd washed their smelly feet. This is the same room where he taught them about communion, the Lord's Supper. This is the same room where he had said, you know what? Judas is going to be the betrayer. But then some believe that after this, he would then take them quickly away and keep on teaching. Some, else, some others would believe that he says these words and they just kind of hang out for a while. And you know what? I, although you may have an opinion one way or another, I think what matters most here is what Christ said. And even though he doesn't say it, I think if we could read between the lines in the context with, with which it's given, I think it could kind of breathe life to, to mean this. He's like, hey guys, let's go, let's, let's leave this place. Hey, let's leave this place of comfort. Let's leave this place where we're, we're protected. And I want to take you to a garden. And in this garden, I'm going to face this, this whole army of people that are going to take me away. They're going to take me through a kangaroo, kangaroo court. They're going to say all these things that I've done that I haven't done, and they're going to take me up and br brutally execute me Roman style on a cross. And then, by the way, oh, I forgot to tell you, don't forget this, they're, then they're going to come after you. <laughs> they're like, what's in the coffee? Like, what is going on? This is crazy. And then it leads me to another thing that Christ said before he departed, he, he said this. It's one of my favorite go-to scriptures. It's in John chapter 16, verse 33. Maybe you've memorized this. He said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have what? I have conquered the world. But Jesus says, in me you may have peace. See, a lack of peace leads to fear and anxiety and depression. But the Bible only places peace in one spot. The author of peace, the owner of peace... And that's in God. And here's something else you need to understand. You must understand that if you're going to have any hope of replacing your panic with peace, the Prince of Peace did not come to relieve all your external chaos in your life. He one day will do that. He will one day come back. And that's the hope of the righteous. But he came to bring peace in your life and in my life today. But the great misunderstanding is that we're going to go find it out there somewhere if we can just catch it or if we can just buy it or we can just live it out. But what he did is he came to bring us peace, not out there, but in here, right? See, biblical peace is not an absence of conflict. And I'm saying this in multiple ways for you to understand the point here. But it's a fulfillment of the heart. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And there's, there's going to be things that pervade out of your life when you have peace. You're going to react different. You're going to say things different. You're going to 
talk different, you're going to spend different, you're going to have different relationships. But at the core, he didn't come for you just to live a, a perfect life on the, uh, to have a, all, the, all the fears calmed around you. But he did come so that you can have an internal peace in the midst of external chaos. He didn't probable, promise a trouble-free life. He promised you a peace from within. I was with a, a really good friend of mine this week. And we went out to lunch and I sat across from the table and I said, hey, how are you doing? And I asked those words in particular because I know exactly what they were going through. And with tears filling his eyes and just sweeping down his face, he shared with me the journey they're on, him and his wife, because she has cancer. And he shared with me all oh, the medical treatment. He shared with me the, 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 the things they were going through. He shared with me the, the difficulties and all the things that they were, that they were you know, processing. But not one single time in that entire conversation did I sense or feel any panic in his, in, his, in his voice. In fact, if anything, there was this peace. And I thought, here I am in perfect health, and here's this man struggling so much with the fact that he may lose his wife of many years, and he has complete peace. Wow. How do we get that? I mean, how do we truly live this out? Like, I'm not just trying to be cute here. I'm not just trying to give you a quick little message or, or make it sound good. But how do we have that kind of peace, friends? Because I want that, right? Do you want that? I do. Well, Jesus, he, he, he really gave us this in John chapter 14, verse 1. Look at it with me again. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. Believe in God. As a Jew, they've always believed in God. Now he said, no, believe in me. See, if you don't believe that Jesus is in control, then you're going to have a hard time trusting him. And you're going to fail to believe, and you're going to forget his power and his provision and his promise for your life. But how do we find this peace? Well, he says it, right? He says, believe, trust, believe, believe in me. And I know some of, some of you have legitimate concerns or skepticisms about this. That's okay. But this morning, I just want you to entertain the idea that this is the way to find peace. So what I want to do in the final few minutes I have with you, I want to give you just five practical suggestions for you that you already know, okay? You are smart people. You already know these things. But I just want to give them to you, finding more peace in your life. Five things and we'll be done. The first is read your Bible every day. I, I know you've heard that before, but, but read your Bible every day. My wife and I were on our way to Canada from the United States. We were going to visit family to celebrate a holiday. And on the way, we realized we had forgotten our daughter's passport. And so what we did is we bought a donkey and we crossed the border through the trees. No, I'm just kidding. We didn't do that. Just want to see if you're listening. We got the passport sent to us overnight and we crossed over fine. But I've been in third world countries, okay, where... Uh, there was another third world country right next to it. And there was the border and there were these patrolmen. And these patrolmen had M16s. And I'm thankful for the M16s and the patrolmen because they were protecting me in the airport. I was in the airplane I was about to fly out on so that I could get back to home and see my family. See, an unguarded mind, my friend, is an unprotected mind. So patrol your mind with truth. 
If you want to battle fear, if you want your panic to be turned to peace, then you must incorporate and and patrol your mind. You must flood your mind with truth all the time. So I, I I don't know how and I don't know where and I don't know when, but you need to spend maybe 15 minutes. Just try it. Pick a favorite chair in your house. You all have a favorite chair, right? Or a favorite seat on the couch or on the floor, wherever. Pick it out, sit there, and just read 15 minutes of the Bible. Just try it out. I don't know where to start. We'll just start in the book of John. It'd be great. Or there's reading plans on this app called YouVersion. If you don't know, just, it's okay. Ask somebody. Ask me. I'd love to help you. But just 15 minutes. Just try that. Get a Bible reading. And if 15 minutes is, you know, you've been doing that for a long time, then, then, then go farther. Try 30 minutes. Try setting aside an hour of your day. You won't regret it. The second suggestion is schedule prayer on your calendar several times throughout the day. Now, this may seem very mechanical to you. Like, I have to schedule time to pray, Ray? Like, what are we, robots? No, no, but it's very important for you to, to develop a very disciplined life when it comes to prayer. Prayers like, God, I need you in this moment. Abba, Father, as Jesus would teach the disciples how to pray. These are moments where we say, God, I need you in this very moment, in this very second. Moses, he had one of those moments, Exodus 3. He's like, I'm not going to go to Pharaoh. What am I going to say? They're not going to listen to me. And God says, all right. And he says, you know what? Tell them that I am has sent you. I am has sent you. What kind of, what kind, that doesn't make any sense. But if we really look in the grammar there, it's incredible. Basically, God said this to Moses. Look, Moses, I am noun and I am verb, meaning, look, I function as anything and everything you could ever want or need for your life. And it it really goes back to Scripture teaching us over and over again that he is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider. That he is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. He's Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, my banner. He's Jehovah Shalom, the Lord God, my peace. And look, it doesn't change my circumstance, but I'm going to tell you, it does change me every time. Every single time. Here's the third thing, and it's huge. Huge recognize the detractors of peace. Recognize the detractors of peace. See, in my life, I've, I've come to realize there are a few detractors that keep, just knock me off course on a continual basis. They're mind monsters, and, and one of them in particular is money. None of us know what the stock market's going to do in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. We wish we did. No one knows what the housing market's going to do. No one has a has a a clue. No one knows what the world is going to do in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years in regards to financial security. We wish we did, but yet what do we do? We worry about it. And it's important. You got to get on a budget. I'd recommend it highly. It's important. Don't overspend this Christmas. It's coming. Get on a budget. Stick to your budget. Don't go into debt over Christmas. I'd encourage you to do all those things. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, give God what is God's and don't worry about it. Because you can't control it anyway. The second detractor that I I see from peace here is relationships. Relationships have taken my peace away so many times. How about you? You may have to allow God to heal your heart. Maybe there's some anger or bitterness that has prevailed in your life. or, Or maybe it's been a significant loss of a loved one or a friend and you're grieving. Or maybe there's been selfishness and there's been abuse along the way and maybe you need to lower the expectations of those 
in your life, or maybe you just need to take responsibility for, you, for your actions and not their actions. I don't know the healing that you need, my friend, but let me just tell you this. By God's grace, would you just help, ask, you, ask him to help you not get detra- distracted from peace? The fourth suggestion is this. You may need to refocus your mind. You may need to refocus your mind. See, your mind is only capable of a few things. I know that you're intelligent. You're much more intelligent than me, I assure you. But even in all of your high capacity, there's only a few things that your mind can process all the time. And last week I talked about G-I-G-O, and that is garbage in, garbage out. If you're focusing on everything negative, that's going to eventually lead to you living out of what? A negative life. What are you processing? What are you focusing on? This last week, I I was processing, and as I was, I just turned on some music. And let me just tell you, I love music. I'm a musician. I love sports, and I love music. And uh, that that instrument over there, the piano, I I grew up playing that thing. I had a scholarship to play and ended up um, having tendonitis and had to give up that dream. But along the way, I still love music. It's a part of my life. And this old song came into my mind and helped me focus. It goes like this. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. And then the chorus, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth living just because... He lives. And finally, the the fifth thing, friend, is would you eliminate self-sufficiency from your life? Would you eliminate self-sufficiency that you can do it all on your own from your life? Uh, Another pastor that I greatly respect, Tim Keller, he said it this way. He said, fear is opposite of peace and fear comes from saying to God, I don't need you. Some of you men are so strong today, and let me tell you, I give you, all the, I give you all the props in the world for your strength and your resiliency, but look, well, my friend, you do need God. You may not need many, a thing, many other things in life, but you do need God. And the first result of sin in the garden, as a consequence, Adam and Eve, what was the first thing they felt? Fear. See, the more you move away from God, the more fearful you become, and the more you move away from a life that sees panic turned into peace. And it's all because of depending upon the shepherd. In, in Psalm 95, 7, it says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. You know, I heard a story recently of a doctoral student going to Israel. And there in Israel, there was a study done about sheep and shepherds. Any shepherds here today? Today? Any? Typically, there's always, yeah, there's a couple. Well, for the rest of us, um, the, the, the shepherds basically converged, these three shepherds and their flocks. They all kind of came together. And, and the doctoral student made these notes about this, and she, they were concerned that the sheep wouldn't be able to be told, to, uh, told apart, and they wouldn't be able to separate the sheep because they wouldn't be able to tell which ones they were which or anything like that. Well, what happened was, after the shepherds were done talking to one another, what began to happen is, as they left, the sheep, guess what? They just kind of followed along to the shepherd's voice. In direction. See, the sheep knew the shepherd, and that's how it should be. And Jesus said, my sheep know my voice, and they follow me. See, the way to find peace is to follow close to the good shepherd. And so I want to ask you, truly, from the bottom of my heart, 
Do you know the good shepherd? I didn't ask you if you knew of him, but do you know him personally? Is he more than a tradition or a religion? Is he personal to you, friend? Because this is the only way that your panic is going to be moved to peace. And, and Jesus, he goes on to give an incredible assurance to the disciples in, in the following verses in 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 in chapter 14. And I don't have time to go through them all, but basically he says, look, there's another place. And this place is different than this place. This place is of peace and it's of love. And it's perfect. He says, the waiting for you, those of you who know the shepherd. One poet said of this, who can mind the journey when the road, well, it leads home. See, the hope of one day being home enables us to walk through any brokenness that we find on this earth. But here's the, the, the straight news. Here, here's the honest to goodness truth. Not everyone will go there. Only those who know the shepherd. And so this morning, I want to ask you, do you know the shepherd? Do you know him? Because if you know him, my friend, there is a better place awaiting. And his words and his voice are all known and have been believed upon. And there was a moment in your life, and the moment kind of went something like this. That you, you, you believed in your heart and you eventually you confessed with your mouth that you knew the shepherd. And it was all predicated upon this fact, this truth. That one time the world was perfect. One time there was perfect design for the entire world. The relationships that we're in. Everything that we long for, that was, everything was perfect. And then mankind came along and mankind messed it all up. And he brought brokenness into the picture. Went on their own way. And that's called Sin. And we departed from God's perfect design for our life. And, and so we, being humans, being made in the, in the likeness of God, you know, we said, you know, we're going to try to fix this on our own. So we go to relationships. We go to uh, a paycheck. We go to um, a golf course. We go to a retirement. We go to a house. We go to a relationship. Whatever the case is, trying to fill the emptiness inside of us to, to find purpose in our life. And we just end up with more question marks. And so we're like, what do we do now? And finally, we turn to the shepherd, and he says, well, the good news is the shepherd, he went upon a cross. He lived a perfect life. He died upon a cross for the sins of humanity to atone for you and to me. And then he would, three days later, rise from the grave, proving who he said he was, and that all of this is not make-believe, but all this is fact. And because of that, we can know the shepherd. And the Bible says, it's real simple. It's no magical words. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I want to ask, do you know the shepherd? This is how you know the shepherd.